Deceptions Podcast. It seems like everything to do with sexuality boils down to that. If there's consent, then it's okay. Imagine a DeLorean time machine car appears outside your house this year and you get in and you're told that you're going to 2052 to see what the future looks like. You arrive and you see what it actually looks like 30 years from now. Do you want that future? What would you do to get there or to get away from that future? That's what we're going to find out. How about this? Well, it's been proven that the smartest people in the world are men. See, that's but, I think, yeah. I think where that's been proven. Is some issues. That's, no, that's, been, that's been proven. proven. That's who? been proven. How? It, it, read the study. It's more likely men what are out there. What study? Google it. Andrew Tate, the US British celebrity kickboxer, has been cancelled by all the social media platforms. He was actually kicked off Britain's Big Brother when a video emerged of him beating a woman with a belt, which he said was consensual. Now, you would think that that man would not be the person you'd turn to for advice on relationships, but it turns out he has millions of followers and billions of views across social media platforms on his rather skewed advice on how to live as a modern man. He's chauvinistic, misogynistic, and he sits in photographs and videos on a boat somewhere beautiful, draped in women, draped in gold, with a coast of Italy in the background. He's the epitome of the modern-day Hugh Hefner, what men are supposed to want. The interesting thing is that you may not have heard of him, but ask a bunch of teenage boys if they have, and they certainly have. They are among his millions of followers. It's been noted that he racked up more Google searches in the middle of 2022 than either Kim Kardashian and Donald Trump, those other two bastions of high culture in in our Western setting. And his opinions would be surprising and shocking to you if you knew about them. But there's a sense in which he's riding a wave of young men in our culture who are looking around for something to attach themselves to. Maybe your son's heard of him and you never have. Schools in Australia and New Zealand are reporting that Tate's huge popularity and inevitable influence is starting to take its toll on their male students in the way they treat the women around them. Well, at least that was what was happening. And now that he's been cancelled, people are hoping that we never hear of him again. I doubt that's going to happen. Billions of views of his videos have just been uploaded all over the place, and he's a hero to many people still. But his views are particularly abhorrent to a culture that thinks we've moved past that view of women. He's seen as Neanderthal in many ways. And so you get this range from the Neanderthal view of him from a progressive perspective through to this hero worship of him by many young men. And there's been articles unpacking what is wrong. It's a sign that men haven't changed. It's a sign that the sexual revolution has failed. It's a sign that boys, having been told ad nauseum that they were trash as a gender, are kind of leaning into that, almost in a sense of, I'm condemned already, I might as well go out swinging. Well, whatever you land on this, it seems that something is broken in our relational world 
that Andrew Tate would be someone who people are looking to, to fill a vacuum. His huge popularity could not have been an accident. He's pitched himself as the epitome of what men would want in a way that Hugh Hefner did in the 50s and 60s. But in a sense, it's a little different. He's stripped away the veneer of respectability and cut straight to the chase. There's a deep pragmatism about the way Andrew Tate pitches his life. And the question we'd want to ask is, is Andrew Tate an aberration in our modern world? Or is he just an expression of it? Just one extreme expression of what goes on in our culture? A very extreme way of looking at how a man is supposed to be a man when many of the other role models of masculinity in our culture have gone by the wayside. It, it kind of seems funny to me that at the very time that most of the culture has been trying to angst over how do you define a woman, quietly in the background there's been this mess about how to define a man. So how do we get here and, and where's it going? Is there a pathway through all of this for how relationships can be despite the mess? That's what we're looking at today. Where's all this going? It's probably a good idea to have a look at the landscape and see where it actually is at the moment and how people are responding to these sorts of things, to the Andrew Tates of the world and his ilk. One of the takeaways, ironically, has been a swathe of women saying that the sexual revolution has not been good for women. In a book called The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, Louise Perry, a 30-year-old who's secular, says that the 60s revolution has dudded her sex. Now, she's a realist. She says she doesn't want to go back to the 50s. She's a high-powered worker. She's got a profession, and she doesn't like that idea, so she's not a conservative. But she says this, I used to believe the liberal narrative on the sexual revolution. As a younger woman, I held the same opinions as most other millennial urban graduates in the West. I conformed to the beliefs of my class. Of course, freedom is the goal, so she thought. Then she says, what women need is the freedom to behave as men have always behaved. And that's an interesting line, isn't it? Because what she's saying is that the way for women to go forward is to be like men, to be like the feminine version of Andrew Tate, so to speak. But then she says this, I no longer believe any of this. It's precisely because I'm a feminist that I've changed my mind on sexual liberation. It's an ideology premised on the false belief that the physical and psychological differences between men and women are trivial. Now the kicker line as she's looked past the last 60 years is this. She says, the sexual revolution isn't only a story of women freed from the burdens of chastity and motherhood, it's also a story about the triumph of the playboy. So what she's really saying there is that the real winners of the sexual revolution were men. And it doesn't seem hard to find the evidence, does it? Andrew Tate, take a bow. Here's one piece of advice from Louise. She said this, only have sex with a man if you think he would make a good father to your children, not because you necessarily intend to have children with him, but because this is a good rule of thumb in deciding whether he's worthy of your trust. And there's a certain irony in that, isn't there? 
hello, that's marriage. That's what we were saying. But you can hear the pain in her voice that somehow the thing that promised liberty hasn't done it. And we look around the landscape and that certainly bears it out. We see these things happening in our culture. But hold on a minute. When she said the real winners are men, let's just mine into that a little bit. Two people I know go around schools in Australia speaking about porn culture and the unhealthy habits of online viewing and what it does to young men's brains and subsequently their actions. And they go to schools where the women in the schools, down from the teachers through to the students, suffer a form of sexual abuse that's been created by the Andrew Tates of this world. There's sexual moaning going on in the classroom towards the girls and nothing is done about it. There are all sorts of things happening to young women that they don't want, despite the years of training on consent and all these things. See, it all depends on what you mean by winning. Because when my friends go in to speak in these schools, here's what they find. The boys don't think of it as winning either. They're looking at themselves and going, I wish I wasn't doing that. Now, not all the boys. There's always the backseat of the bus boys who love it and lap it up and see themselves as mini Andrew Tates. But many of the boys are saying, I don't want to be like this. I want to be someone different, but I need some role models to show me the way forward. My friends don't find that the majority of boys are proud about porn and hookup culture. Ironically, they're looking for many of the same things that many of the women are looking for. Some dignity in a relationship, some security and some expression of that they are worth something. So sure there are those who buy into this and sure there are millions of people on social media platforms that follow the likes of Andrew Tate. But not everyone. There are many boys who say they are trapped by porn and the expectations it has of them about how they treat women. They want to be different, they just don't know how. And you know, that doesn't seem much like winning to me, does it? It doesn't seem like that at all. In fact, it feels a bit of a mess, to be honest, and very hard to unravel. And the point of that is that we're not trying to just unravel 60 years of the sexual revolution, but several hundred years of a way of thinking about ourselves where we place ourselves at the centre of what we want to do. Carl Truman, in a book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, says that the water we swim in has led to what we're going through now. The last couple of hundred years of philosophical thinking about how we're supposed to be, what it means to be human and how we satisfy our desires has led us here. He puts it this way, the intuitive moral structure of our modern social imaginary regards traditional sexual codes as oppressive and life-denying and places a premium on the individual rights to define his or her own existence. And what he means by modern social imaginary is pretty much the water we swim in. That traditional sexual codes such as marriage have been seen as oppressive and life-denying. Yet you want to compare that to what Louise Perry says, where she is saying exactly the opposite, that these codes that we now have post-sexual revolution are actually causing the problem. Now, Carl Truman makes that statement, and he's got a lot to say in his book, but there's a shorter way to describe it in a way that you'll understand. You do you. That's the cultural water we swim in. And it's led to a, a culture around relationships between the sexes that has sunk to one lowest common denominator, consent. It seems like everything to do with sexuality boils down to that. 
If there's consent, then it's okay. The irony is, even that's contested, and you read some of the quotes by Andrew Tate, and you'll realise that he thinks it's contested as well. So we have this deep, horrible irony of an iPhone with a consent app on it. Before you hook up with someone, they sign the consent app so that in the morning they can't take you off to the police. That doesn't sound like human flourishing to me. And what do we do about that? There's no way of putting the genie back in the bottle and heading back to the 1950s. The results are confusion and a deep anxiety in our culture. My wife, who's a clinical psychologist, said that she's heard everything about what a man can do to a man, what a man can do to a woman, what a woman can do to a man, and what a woman can do to a woman. The body count of the sexual revolution is starting to rack up. And it seems that for all that freedom, there's massive human collateral damage. And I've thought about that, and I look at Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, and in a sense, it feels more like the rise and failure of the modern self. We're throwing a lot of money and time and effort into resolving something that simply seems to get worse, to the point where the Louise Perrys of this world are saying, can't we just have something like what we had in the past, but change it up for the modern day? And I don't think we know how to do that. I think we're in uncharted territory as to how to go forward in these relationships. So what can we do about this? Perhaps we are already doing something about it. That's the first thing I would say. We've started to talk about the problem. It seems to be basic psychology 101 that if you're going to solve something, you need to talk about it. And when you get a range of people, some who are religious, some who are secular, young women, older men, saying that there's a problem here, that's a great start. It's always good to be talking about it. And the deep relief in these young men when Older men come to them and say, hey, how are you solving these things? Whose voice are you listening to in these relationships? Perhaps we've abrogated our responsibility to be a little bit more tribal in this you-do-you world. Where are the people in the village who are speaking to the younger people and giving advice? We're so busy, we're all over the place, and we've kind of outsourced all of our moral frameworks to someone else. Unfortunately, that's often our iPhone and the likes of Andrew Tate. So noticing the problems, the way to start. And then change really needs to begin at grassroots level. That'd be another thing I'd say. The sexual revolution said that traditional family codes were part of the problem. What if that's not true? What if they're part of the solution? What if the way we live our lives in stable relationships with families, even though not everyone has that, is a good solid way to live? And how can we start to have those conversations going on into the future that make a difference to our family? But here's another thing, not just our family. We don't want to live as families as islands. What about when we get together as families? Do we model to other families and show other children what life can look like together as we do relationships in an increasingly complex world? Perhaps we're just too lonely and isolated to do that and we need to think of ways to thicken up the depth of our relationships. 
I think the other thing is that communities that have a strong alternate ethic, especially around sexuality, are going to find themselves increasingly being an object of interest for people outside of those communities. People are going to look in and say, how come you do things this way? How come in this atomized existence of the world, you do thick communities like you do? Christian communities and other religious communities are good places to start from. Of course, every community has its own problems. But central to my understanding of Jesus at the midst of the Christian community is that he truly showed what a man should be like. There was a sense of strength about him without being brash. There was a sense of leadership about him at the same time that one of the quintessential images of Jesus is washing the feet of other people. There's something about a man that Andrew Tate doesn't get that Jesus does get and shows us. So perhaps it's not a redesign that's needed. Perhaps the future is more of a return with a bit of a refurbishment. Christian communities flourished in ancient Rome in a time when relationships were far from what they are today, where consent wasn't even considered an option. But the sheer weight of moral force and the church being a haven of safety for women, slaves and children made it boom. And they're the very categories of people that the Andrew Tate types despise. Perhaps it's a prodigal culture that finds itself stuck in the pigsty, bereft, empty and lonely. But prodigals are supposed to return and fathers and mothers can welcome them back with no questions asked. Perhaps the future isn't redesign, it's just a return to what's always been there in the first place. Podcast.